0: Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop. And on mixlr.com backslash wake up call DT as well as on Facebook Live, Facebook.com backslash live now DT. Inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios, 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York is the place to go to dress up and dress down. Doesn't matter your size, doesn't matter your style, doesn't matter your age. Charney's has something for every man, every style. Go out and see them today on 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York. First part of today's broadcast here at hour number one, we're spending it with D Brown inside of Mon Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factories. What's poppin'? We're here with D Brown this morning, NFL and Syracuse running back alum, and he is here with us to talk about Syracuse past and present. So with that being said, let's bring him into the broadcast. D, how you doing today? Good morning, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing well, and and D, I got to ask you. You know, I mean, from your perspective, what's been your takeaway this season? What have you seen? You know what? What can you tell us about? You know what's your what's your takeaway away from Syracuse in you know this 2019 season? And and kind of what what you saw in a five and seven year.
1: Well, the biggest thing I guess you can you can speak on when you talk about a, a five and seven season inconsistency inconsistencies.
0: from d brown here this morning on wake up call with dan Tortora. d for you like you said you know there was inconsistencies and you know you brought up the quarterback position what did you see from tommy devito this year did did you take away any positives any notes that maybe stick out to you what did you see from his game because it is so different than eric dungy's what was your takeaway from uh, tommy devito this year see that and you you know you see like obviously there's that comparison but he's different you know this this offensive line really struggled to give him time this offensive line gave up the most sacks in the nation you know they they were leading the nation of 130 fbs schools you know 130 division 1a college football programs they were leading in sacks allowed in sacks per game they were also in the in the top four and at sometimes the the I think it was the top three tied for the top three most penalized teams in the country as well so when you have giving up the most sacks giving up the most sacks per game and being the most penalized school in the one of the most penalized schools in the nation that's I mean for me I know a lot of blame goes on the quarterback but how are you supposed to win games if you have issues like that, especially with a lot of those penalties on the offensive line? Absolutely. Well, the
1: first, thing, uh, first thing, first thing first. We know now where our recruiting aim should be. I <laughs> mean, really our offensive line. Um, if you have those statistics to tell you where we're we at, and obviously that's where we approve And, and yes, yeah, it, it is a. a, a and that's why
0: You know, and that's the thing. I mean, these wide receivers, unfortunately, you know, they don't get the showcase that they would have gotten in another type of situation. And I think, you know, unfortunately, I mean, I know Tristan Jackson got all ACC honors and, you know, we've seen some good plays by Taj Harris. But, you know, for these guys like a Sean Riley, who's a senior, who's moving on, you know, this was a tough year to really get some film out there and be able to showcase some things. So, you know, as they move forward, timing is everything. And and I remember that George O'Leary had said, you know, and he used to be an assistant for Syracuse and then went on to UCF. And this is, and I talked to him when he was at UCF. And I say this all the time on the show, but it's important, it's imperative. He said, if you, you know, you have to build your team in the trenches. You have to build from the inside out. You have to build your offensive line and your defensive line, and then you build out from there. If you don't do that, if you don't focus on your line as the first and foremost thing in protecting your quarterback and then attacking their quarterback, if you don't do those things and that's not where your focus is, then you might as well stop coaching because you're not going to win. So, you know, I mean, go off of that a little bit. Do you agree with that? Do you see that? Do you feel that because – Syracuse is losing their entire defensive line that was starting this past year because their eligibility is done, the offensive line struggled as well. So, you know, this if you want to prevent having another season like this, they obviously have to be able to build in the trenches. Absolutely. And if you
1: just look at, you know, examples of the National Football League, you look at Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys, and what's, that's, one, that's, that's his model. He, he's building from the inside out. And so, um, that's why they have what is known as one of the best offensive line in of National Football League. You look at the Houston, Texas, and and Deshaun Watson uh, was was bleeding and and, and loud, and so they went and got them a, a fly left tackle. And not even the, the next the next game that they you know after they acquired the left tackle, he goes and throws.
0: D Brown this morning, Syracuse Orange football alum as well as NFL alum. D, you know, to to go off of that, I was told at the beginning of the season, and, and I made mention of this, I, I played this interview on the show, I asked Aaron Service, who was down as the center on the team, I asked him, you know, are you, are you playing center? And this was during fall camp, and I said, are you playing center? And he's like, I don't know where I'm playing. I said, what do you mean? And it's a couple weeks before – you know, the season's starting, we're, we're inside a fall camp, it's middle of August, and he said, well, the coaches kind of have us all everywhere, they don't know where they want us yet, so we're trying to figure it out, and so we're all kind of playing all different positions as they figure it out. Now, that was two weeks before the season started. That was a giant red flag for me, because I was already concerned that the offensive line was going to have a learning curve, and that the offensive line was going to take some time to, you know, gel and get right. So that's already on my mind, and then Aaron Service tells me, in his honesty, and I appreciate him telling me this, he says, you know, we don't really know where we're playing because the coaches don't know. Well, then the season starts, and the guys are getting shifted still all throughout the season. I mean, it was kind of an admittance at the beginning of the year. If, if the coaching staff doesn't know where to put everybody, then how can this team succeed? And if the guys are playing all different positions, how can they get comfortable any, you know, in a position that they're supposed to be in. So I I almost, what I'm trying to say is I I feel like the team was kind of doomed on the offensive line from the get-go because there was no real plan of where everybody was going to be and people were shifting so much. So I I didn't really see how that was going to turn out in their favor and it continued to plague them all throughout the year. Yeah, I, I,
1: um... (laughs) That's an interesting conversation that you had. And I'm surprised that the young man although we do appreciate his honesty, expressed what I would what I would interpret as frustration with the lack of uh knowing what he's gonna be. And then on the office of mind you have to have continuity. Um, it's not uh productive or beneficial to have musical chairs, so to speak. When it comes to those, you know, five, six, seven guys that that will probably play for you in your offensive line throughout the year, um, it is it is a challenge when you uh, are going into the season like that, and it isn't an, like you said a red flag because you want to be uh, definitely solid in those areas and knowing, especially two weeks going into the.
0: That's the thing that I think is, is difficult is that he played center and then he played left tackle and, you know, as Sean Hickey, right, they're totally different. You know, I mean, you're protecting your quarterback's blind side or you're snapping the ball to him. So, you know, I mean, there, there's obviously a lot of difference to that. And I know that these guys want to show that they can play all these positions and they can do all these things. But, you know, to me, it, it's... It's like if I hired a bunch of people and I asked this person to run my social media this person to do my editing this person to do our video and then you know I, so there I, I say to all of them you're editing your video your social media then the next day I say your social media you're editing, and I keep switching it around they're never getting comfortable in being social media being my editor being my video person so that's that that's what I felt like and that like you said alarming. What going into the season a couple weeks before, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, if if you're running this and then you're changing to this and then you're doing this and then you're going over here, again, I mean, how can you ever really hone your talent, hone your skills, find your niche, feel good about what you're doing if you're if you're responsible for everything? And if you know in the back of your mind, I'm the center, but if this guy screws up, now I'm the left tackle, but then that guy got injured, so now I'm back to being the center. I, I know that these guys are talented and I know that, they'll, you know, a lot of them will do what coach tells them to do, but I'm sure that if you sat anybody down, they'd be much, I mean, it's like telling you to play running back, then play wide receiver, then play running back, then play wide receiver. I mean, Neal, when he was at Syracuse, was asked to play H-back, slot receiver, and running back, and then when they finally let him play running back, they saw how successful he could be, but how much time did they lose sending him in a musical chairs type of situation and you can't really get comfortable in that set so I mean I feel like that's that's something that was that was doomed to fail and unfortunately I think a lot of people blame the offensive line where some of that comes down to coaching and it comes down to planning and it comes down to scheming and knowing what you have and recruiting
1: absolutely and what I'll tell you that that statement's kind of twofold uh, because those things could have happened and we have to be that's uh, so what I said. Those, those things and movements could have happened for two reasons and probably two very good reasons in which I, as a coach, would make those type of things. One is that we have a, a number of injuries that we just can't overcome. And so you have what you see as more versatile players who can help you out in those areas that you need. Two, is, is, is another for, formidable reason is that you have a, a player who is talented as Monel, who can do those things. And so if he has the mental capacity
0: You know, and that it just seems like it was a a whirlwind of of craziness and when you look at a team that's being penalized that and, and you know some of the former players actually watching the games and saying listen you know I, I'm seeing these guys when their their stances aren't right they're not shooting their hands when they get up so you know when it comes down to penalties because doug Marone's teams had a lot of penalties as well you know when it comes down to things like that then you start looking at the coaching staff you start looking at why are their mechanics not there? Why don't they know where to be? Why are they not setting their feet right? Why are they not shooting their hands at the right time? Why are they not picking up that block? How could they not see that? This has happened, you know, twenty times in the season. So, you know, the, the 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 fact of the matter of those elements of it are now do you look at the coaching staff and say, Okay, what are you teaching them in practice? What are the mechanics? What are you doing? And above all things, the media is no longer allowed in practice. we've been completely shut out of practice, so we can't even see how they're shooting their hand. I mean, like, I used to be able to sit and watch every offensive lineman go through his technique, go through his drills, go through scrimmages, go through one-on-ones, go through just being there with the coach. Like, I got to watch the lines develop. I got to watch players develop. I told people three years in advance who the starting free safety was going to be because I saw him develop, and we don't get to see that anymore. So we don't know what they're doing, but when a team's getting penalized over and over and over again and they're making the same mistakes over and over and over again and they're not using proper mechanics, then does it come off of the players and go to the coaches even more so at that point?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely it does, Dan. And, and and one note to make is that as an assistant coach, a job is to make the job of the head coach easier. So when you talk about uh, technical issues, technique issues, starting stand, shooting your hands, you know, that's where, as a head coach, I'm, I'm speaking to my individual position coaches about uh, what are, you know. What are we practicing? What is the best practice? Are we getting enough repetition at improving on our weaknesses? Or are we just continuing to concentrate on our strengths? These, these are these are not only practice um, um, answers that I need, but in-game answers I need. You know, to make sure that our eyes are in the right place and that we're involved in our particular position group and make sure we excel. That those things. Um, definitely count um, as a coach. when you start talking about penalties before and after the snap. That's that's a problem for. Us. I don't care what type of team you have. Uh, you shouldn't. Those that should be a goal in the preseason that we don't have penalties before or after the snap. In the technical penalties that we do, we we have once the whistle is blown, it's something that we can't control. We can correct that. Um, you know, we we can control it all, but we can definitely correct those those technical things that we have. We, we're getting penalized for, it. but definitely, Dan.
0: Speaking here with D Brown, Syracuse and NFL alum at the running back position, Syracuse ended the season of 130 schools. They ended 128th with 50 sacks given up in 12 games, a loss of 297 yards, giving up 4.17 sacks per game. I'm sure as a former running back on the team, where you know you got to. Pick up one of those, you know, guys that might be blitzing. That's that's untouched. This has got to make you a little bit sick to know that they've given up almost 300 yards and 50 sacks, and and allowing four sacks per game, and a little bit earlier they were allowing five sacks per
1: game. Yeah, that's that's, that's very ironic. Yeah, that's that's you know that's a, a statistic that really speaks uh, the the lack of production and just execution um, to to be. Twenty-eight is unbelievable. I never would have thought, you know, my alma mater would, would be in those um, type of valleys. But that's what it is, and we have to get ourselves out of it. And how do you do that, man? Uh, like you said, you got to do it with recruiting, but you also got to start changing, changing the mindset and focus on the kids that you have there. Okay, you just not give up on those guys because you recruited them.
0: Absolutely, and you know, and that's the thing, and, and the and the non-recruiting of the Northeast seems to really bother me. And I wanted to ask you about this. I know that you're, you know, not a New York guy, but you know, I mean, you didn't you didn't come from here, like we were talking about off the air. You know, you're down in Florida and whatnot. But Syracuse has not recruited, giving scholarships, I should say, to the area. I mean, Mackie McPherson had gotten one. Cam McPherson had got one from CBA. But and Riley Dixon also from CBA but we look at Boston College and Steve Adazio who was just fired from there which makes no sense to me but Steve Adazio is as an assistant coach to Paul Pasqualoni. he built ties with Syracuse that he never lost and when he went yeah. to Temple he kept those he went to Boston College he kept those he took he took players from CNS from you know CNS to Nottingham to CBA if to Baldwinsville and taking these kids out. Syracuse has missed out now you're a former running back on the team I'm going to name a few guys Syracuse in central New York with Dino could ride a bike a a regular bike he could walk if he wanted to to go see Dorsey Levins I mean I'm just going back in time here to where these players were obviously I know Dino wasn't here when Dorsey was here but just to paint the picture if you look at Syracuse's proximity to the schools these people were at Dorsey Levins Mike Hart Latavius Murray. Dorsey Levins is a Super Bowl champion. Latavius Murray is playing on a New Orleans Saints team that wants to vie for the Super Bowl this year. We look at we look at somebody like Mike Hart, who has coached successfully and done amazing things in Michigan. And most recently, Stevie Scott came from my alma mater, CBA, down the road. Dino could have literally. Take it. He could have. He could have given a dollar to a little girl and said, "Can I borrow your bike for fifteen minutes?" Biked it down there to CBA. Talked to Stevie Scott. This kid went to Indiana and and set a true freshman record for career for uh, rushing yards in a season. He had over a thousand rushing yards as a true freshman. He's killing it again this year. He will play in the NFL. So Syracuse has now missed out on what will be four running backs that will play in the NFL that were sitting in central New York. What are your thoughts on the fact, and that's just the running backs, that's not talking about any other position, what are your right. thoughts on Syracuse failing to recruit locally and failing to show love to the kids that are right down the road?
1: Well, as I stated before, I think uh, back when I was in school, that was one of the big and best things that Pascaloni did was he he was winning the recruiting battle um, versus the pitch, the Boston and go,
0: the thing that i don't get speaking here with d brown this morning from syracuse football history is like you said take care of your backyard it i liken it to you taking your lawnmower and mowing all your neighbor's lawns while letting your lawn grow two feet tall like that's essentially what this thing looks like you know it's you're you're letting (laughs) you're you're letting you're letting your home look unkept Look totally wild and out of control, but you're going and doing this just like people tell you all the time. You know, don't don't throw stones in glass houses until you fix your problems. Don't talk to other people about theirs. Like it, it, it's the reality of Syracuse turning their back on the community, and they might turn around and say, "Well, we're not doing that," but you are. I mean, the, these kids. I've talked to these kids. They're they're not they're not just going to other schools. They want to play Syracuse. They want to beat Syracuse. I had one kid look me in the eye. He looked around the room and he said, I cannot wait to come back here for the next four years and beat this team. I want to. And so it's if you're creating that hatred, you're creating that angst, you're creating that negativity, these kids not only know that you didn't take a chance in them, not only that you didn't want them, not only that you didn't want want to give them an opportunity on a team that they loved their entire life probably, but now they're going to another school They're going to go to that school. They're going to try to excel there. They're not going to come back here. They're not going to build a business here. They're not going to get a house here because they don't want to be in a city that didn't appreciate them. So you're not only taking these kids away from your program and you're not only pissing them off on the football field or, 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 you know, in that sense of it, but you're possibly potentially creating generational hate from that family that will never come back to central New York.
1: I I, uh, I couldn't say it any better than you because uh, it sounds like a relationship um, a problem that we have, and we, we definitely have to get it back into our schools, starting with the head coach, you know, get back into the schools locally and start, start disproving that notion that we don't want our local kids on Syracuse so they don't use. The fact that they're going somewhere else as as, as motivation, aspiration to come back into, to the dome and beat Syracuse for the next four years. As a young man said, that's not what we want. We want to, we want to get back to winning the recruiting battle in our entire region and definitely in our backyard. I mean, it's just that's that's a sad thing to hear. But all these things are, are when you, you talk about a five and seven record then uh, you kind of understand when you hear those things and what, uh, what needs to change and, and where we need to start in, in rehabbing and recovering our campus and our community. That's what we have to do right now. We need to uh, gain, um, uh, get our campus and our community back. Um, and that, like you said, we have to start first with our, our kids in our backyard so they don't feel um, like we've turned our back
0: on them. Are we Are we missing something, though? I mean... It- should Syracuse have a coach that cares about the local community? I mean, do we need Dino to have a change of heart, or do we need a different coach to come in and address this issue? Because Paul Pascalone leaves Syracuse, and he keeps his ties, and he keeps in touch with kids. Steve Adesio leaves Syracuse, and he keeps his ties, and he keeps in touch with kids. We We see these coaches that, leave but keep their passion and keep their connection matt patricia takes that job in detroit and he hires a bunch of people that he knew from syracuse so there, right so there's this connection that all of these former coaches have whether they've been fired or they've left they keep it with central and upstate new york and they see the value randy etzel at uconn sees the value so what what is it is syracuse lacking a coach that that cares about the community and do they need to go do that or are you hoping that Dino has a change of heart?
1: Well, you know it's interesting because Dino is not from he's not from that area. He's right. he's uh, he doesn't really know the ins and outs of the area, so you don't know the mindset. Um, if that was a lack, yeah, definitely you would need someone because you talking about north you talking about the northeast, um, and so uh, you, you got to have something to attract got to have something to attract those kids there and so yes you do need a coach if he's not uh, from around that area if he's not a, a a david walker if you will one of those coaches that you were talking about uh then you need a coach who's is, who's is going to understand the value um, of the area and, and and understand what avenues you need to travel to keep our kids there so to answer your question i'll I never say get rid of a coach um not for those reasons, I won't. I won't say get rid of Dino, um, but if Dino is not gonna uh, improve in those areas and get our kids, get our kids back and make the community uh, feel important, make the kids in our community feel important, then obviously a change just has to be made um, because we got to get back to those glory days, and we know how to get back to them. We just have to do it now and execute the plan. But um, you know, I think uh, Dino definitely uh, needs to go and. Uh, and get some understanding and and just get out more and and let the community know and the kids know um, the top guys, the top kids, and even the overachievers uh, that Syracuse is there
0: And that's the thing is that we look at where success is lacking and we, you know, we look at obviously that lack of recruiting locally and the care for locally, this, this, this this desire to recruit the state of Florida. Here's the thing about the state of Florida. Everybody's recruiting the state of Florida. So FIU, FAU, UCF, USF, Miami, Florida State, Florida are all recruiting the state of Florida in Florida and Bethune-Cookman, and so on and so forth. They're all recruiting the state of Florida in Florida. And then George is recruiting Florida and Texas and Oklahoma and North Carolina and South Carolina. And then we come out of that area and Oklahoma and whatnot, and now... Idaho saying, "Well, we take somebody from there." In New York, saying that in New Jersey and Pittsburgh, and you know, so we're in Pennsylvania, whatnot. So we're in these situations where everybody's recruiting Florida. So the best that Syracuse is ever going to get out of the state of Florida is a guy who is transferring a guy who was spurned, a guy who was fourth on the list for FSU. You're not going to get the top guy. You're not going to get the one that Miami really wants because if Miami doesn't get him, then Florida's getting him. If Florida doesn't get him, then Florida State's getting him. UCF has done a tremendous job in recruiting with two different staffs. So the reality of it all is I'm concerned about fast, 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 fast because, D, you were a running back at Syracuse when they used to run the ball. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if Syracuse has always been known for running the ball down your throat, playing really hard defense, harassing the hell out of you, condensing the clock, why have we gotten away from that, and what are your thoughts about that as a former running back on the team? Well, I think, Dan, the,
1: the, the day and age of offense has changed and, and Dino has, his, his scheme is conducive to that. I mean, that's that's basically what it is. We are not in a pro-style, uh, 21 personnel, always up under the center. Uh, we're, not, we're not that type of sport anymore. And so um, we can get back to those same type of uh, qualities and running the ball, playing tough defense, being great on special teams. You can still do that with with, with, uh, with the scheme and the personnel that Dino has. You can still do that now, you, to, to talk on your point, Maybe going as fast won't be as beneficial, but that's okay, because at the end of the day, we want to move the chains. It's not about if I got 80 plays, but I'm only averaging four yards a play. You know, I, if I can go 65 plays and, and average seven yards a play, then that's what we need to do. So schematically, I think, um, a little personnel changes and things of that nature, we can get back to the things that helped Syracuse be a dominant team over the years. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, uh, Making those decisions from a coaching standpoint and understanding your personnel, and the great thing I love about you know guys like Greg Roman and other uh, offensive coordinators who call um, plays year in and year out is how they change how how unselfish they are and humble themselves to.
0: That being said, Moniel joins the 2,000-yard-plus rushing club at Syracuse. Thoughts on, again, Moniel was asked to play H-back, wide receiver, running back, a little bit of everything. It seems like he's been at Syracuse for 10 years instead of four because he's been asked to do so many different things with so many different offenses and schemes and whatnot. What do you think about about Moniel? What are your thoughts from running back to running back about a guy like Mo and the fact that he achieved over 2,000 yards when he wasn't necessarily treated as a running back for the entire part of his career.
1: Well, I've I, I told you last year that I was a fan of Mo Neil, uh, and I'm, I'm still a fan. I, I think the young man uh, has great upside. Um, I know he had a couple of injuries, um, and but he overcame those things, and he. I think he. I think he has a chance to go to the next level and be a situational type of back. Um, he doesn't have a, enough uh, film, to, uh, really, or or to show that, you know, all of his capabilities as far as being a workhorse. But he definitely has shown, obviously, you know, the good thing about you, like you said, changing positions and, and, and doing things of that nature, that he shows scouts that he's versatile um, and that he can help the team in not only one way, uh, but in many and multiple ways. And so, you know, in, in that arena, it's all about how valuable
0: Look at Mo and that's from running back to running back D. Brown about Mo Neal. We look at Mo's numbers 68 carries in 2016 for 357 yards, <clears throat> 5.3 yards a carry, two touchdowns. 2017, 92 attempts, 488, 5.3 yards again one rushing touchdown, 2018, 155 attempts, 869 yards, 5.6, five touchdowns, 2019, 170 attempts, 846 yards, five yards a carry, seven touchdowns. This man averaged no less than five yards per carry every single year, including his true freshman year. And I think that we really need to circle that on a team that doesn't run the ball that much and doesn't trust running the ball that much there's something to be said about a guy who's running for five yards a carry on average. He's actually a little bit above that. It's
1: definitely something to be said. Uh, it's just this quality that, that, that you can attribute to Moneal and his hard work and how it, how it paid off. Because obviously, like you said, we had a a partial offensive line who wasn't very, wasn't very good or seasoned. And so to be able to have that type of success still, uh, that per carry, uh, Dan is is really an important statistic for us as as running backs. You know, we, obviously we want the hundred yards, we want the touchdowns, but at the end of the day, uh, we can walk we can walk home with our head held high if we have a respectable per average. And I always tell my kids, you know, you want to you want to average five to six yards of carry in, in college. And so the fact that he did that um it is a testament to who he is as a young man um and so um he just again but but you also you can't help but project when you when you look at those numbers and say well man you know what if he had another uh, 75 to 100 carries what what would it it have been and so um and how and how could that have helped us in, 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 in result to our our production our of offense as well as our our records and wins so uh, I think Mo, uh, like I said, he did a great job, man. But, hey, you know, at the same time, you can only do so much with the limited uh, opportunities that you have. And so uh, that's the situation, unfortunately,
0: that he found himself in. Yeah, you know, and, and it's tremendous to look at what he's done. Because if we just look at, to like you said, if he was a traditional running back and they treated him as such more often than not, we look at him, him being a part of the 2,000-yard club at Syracuse His final numbers, as far as what he had overall in his career, is 2,560 yards. But when we look at the last two seasons, he had 1,715 yards in the last two seasons alone. So if they had given him over 100 attempts and let him be a running back a little bit earlier, we very well easily... Are talking about a three thousand yard back? We might be talking about a thirty five hundred yard back at Syracuse, which is unheard of nowadays.
1: Definitely is unheard of, and, and like you said, you know he had that potential. Um, and, and if you if you uh, project those numbers, like you said, you're talking about three thousand, maybe a thirty five hundred kid. And so he's up there. He's he's top. He's top with with Jim Morris and Walter Reyes and those guys. If he if he's able to do that, and so. Uh, it's, it's you know missed opportunities, but you can't you know can't cry over spoiled milk. You have to just take what you what you have and, 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 and go for, and move forward with it. Uh, Monil is, is is a great kid, he has a great mind, strong mind, and he's gonna um, um, do great things all, later on and past this you know this chapter of his life. But you know it was it was it was it tough, Dan, as, as a running back to see that type of production. And know that, man, I could have helped my team. If I had more opportunities. But that's the biggest thing. We're not selfish; that we just want the ball, want the ball. Uh, but when we're, if we're not being productive as a team and we're losing, that's when that competitive nature comes out. You start, you know, your mind start wondering about the what ifs: if I could have did this, if I could have did that. And so, I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that he's had this year is, you know, being productive but not productive enough. And maybe that's not, for, you know, for a lack of uh, opportunity or for a lack of just, you know. And, and I'm again. I, I can say it enough that I'm proud that he's in that in that club with me.
0: That coming from D Brown here, the 2,000 yard club, a fun club to be a part of. D, final final words on this season. Any any final notes that you want to say in this conversation? We've talked about a lot of different things this morning. Anything that you want to say to the team? Anything you want to say about the season?
1: Keep going, man. You know, uh, you know, turn your ears away from the noise and the distractions. This off season is going to be a lot different from last off season when we were at Camping World for the for the bowl game against West Virginia. It's going to be a lot different off season this year. And so, you know, just turn your head, turn your ears and your eyes away from the noise and the distractions, and, and just get back um, to working your butt off and, and keep a keep that bad taste in your mouth until next fall, so that we can come out. And, and be gangbusters here in the ACC again. Um, as far as our, you know, uh, the, the uh, assessment on our team and what we what we can do, um, I think we'll I think we'll be better. I, I'll i be surprised to see Dino Babers and his staff come back next year and have an identical season. I just think um, the intestinal fortitude that that staff has will not allow that to happen. That they will get back to the to the basics and, and, and letting our kids uh, play fast and furious. Uh, even if it's slowed down a little bit, um, and so I just I just think that's what we need to do. I would love to see uh, more of our, our fan base and, and our alumni uh, involved in our football program as well, um, and just talking to some of the guys and you know you know shoot you know a couple of them shoot me emails and things of that nature. You kind of get that sense that that's not happening. So just kind of hey, like.
0: Coming from D Brown, D. Coming off of what you said, really quick here. You talked about the coaching staff. Dino said he's going to assess his coaching staff and take a look at everything. If <clears throat> if if changes need to be made and what needs to be made and whatnot and so on and so forth. So, what's your take on this? And I do want to make a, another note here, really quick, and that's the fact that if I go to there's a story that I wrote. And I bring it up here, and I've been bringing it up over the year, over this past year, because I wrote it back on September of 2018, and I said a change is needed on defense. And I said, watch, I'll write this, and then they'll start playing better. And so it's not the personnel. I think it was, you know, it was who was running it because there's obviously a lot of success that we've seen defensively for Syracuse, you know, there, as far as the individual players and what they've been able to do, and creating turnovers, which is something that was unheard of in Syracuse for a while. But when we look at the, the actual leader of the defense, and again, this is not a witch hunt, and this is not me trying to uh, say mean things about somebody. I'm just stating a fact of, of taking a look at this. When we look at Syracuse's, at their defense, their former defensive coordinator, Brian Ward, and I want to correct myself, I said that he was at uh, Western Illinois with Dino. Dino was at Eastern Illinois. And he and uh, he was at Western Illinois. Speaking of Brian Ward, but when we look at what he did, he gave up when he was at Drake. He gave up seventeen point. Yeah, I think it was like seventeen point two points per game, and that's fine, and that's nothing. But then we look at other other pieces and other numbers in this, and the story you know that I had written stated the fact that as a defensive coordinator of Western Illinois, he gave up twenty eight point two points per game in two thousand twelve. in 2013, 27.25 in 2014. Then he went to Bowling Green and gave up 28.9. Came to Syracuse and gave up 38.58 and 32.17 in his first two seasons. This year, gave up 63 to a not-good Maryland team and 58 to a Boston College team that's not used to scoring that high. So, bring me into that. I mean, he hired a defensive coordinator that had already proven that he can't stop anybody. He was getting worse with time, not better. It's like being in a relationship where things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. But I'm looking at this situation saying the numbers kept getting worse. The higher he went to, the better team, the better conference. He couldn't stop anybody. gave up 162 points combined among the final three games of 2017, which was an average of 54 points given up per game. Yet he was on the staff for Dino. For almost the entire four years, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, man, you you have some great great information, Dan. That kind of really you know uh, speaks to the, the, the things we need to do. And I I wonder who else has that because that looks that sounds um, um, that doesn't sound good. I tell you that it doesn't sound good. Um, you know, giving up that many points uh, that's not that's not the Definition of Syracuse football. You know, we're going to play good defense. Well, all uh, as much as I've uh, I've known, as long as I've known Syracuse played there, followed Syracuse, we're going to play good defense, and we got to have, we got to be better than that. Um, You know, it is alarming because of the history, and you don't know what factors you know go into that. But over the course of a number of years, it doesn't really matter about the factors because the common denominator is we're getting thirty points scored on us every year. So, you know, we have to definitely look at that uh, position. You have to look at um, – and I'm glad he said that and publicly said that he was going to take a, a good assessment of his entire staff. And I'm sure Dino will look at that and, and, and he's not going to uh, just say anything. I'm sure he, he meant that to heart and he's going to do that. And if that means that we have to make a change at the co- defensive coordinator position. he become now a defensive position coach. Um, but we need to make a change. I think that's, that's, that's indicative of what we need to do because – it helps our offense offense out, okay? Again, you know, a good good defense gives extra possessions. A good defense helps the field position battle. So we definitely have to improve in that area. We have to score more points. We have to get back to scoring points like we did uh, before, but we also have to get back to to what we're known for, and that's playing good D and stopping people. Uh, We got to be able to stop some people. So to speak of that is a change made. You know, again, Dan, I don't want to be the one to say, yeah, man, man, fire him. Let Mm -hmm. him go. We need something else, you know. That's what everybody else is doing. I'm a coach, and I'm sensitive to that because I understand, you know, that you know those the the different factors that can go into uh, numbers like that. But at the end of the day, like you said, man, you know, when when the the conference gets bigger.
0: and that's the thing so you know he he lets he lets brian ward go he has steve Stannard as the interim right now who stepped up and you know is the interim defensive coordinator and linebackers coach but now you look at your offensive coordinator you have mike lynch and you look at what's going on there you you go to mike cavanaugh at offensive line and 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 all that but you know that's the situation that you really sit in and you try to figure out is Where do you go from here? And like you said, you're a coach. You're sensitive to this. We know that when a coach is losing and a coach finds some success and then goes right back to losing, then normally the powers above go, what are you going to do, coach? And then the coach will fire a coordinator or both. Once a coordinator is fired and then the other one is fired, now they're staring at the coach. If the coach brings in new coordinators and he's not successful – then he's the next one on the line. So that, to me, has, has always kind of been the bouncing ball, is we'll let you fix your coordinators, but as soon as you replace your coordinators, we've now taken the hourglass and flipped it over.
1: That's exactly how, how it goes for whatever reason. You're dead on. Um, that's kind of the, the, the routine, you know, and so when you see of coordinators and assistant coaches being fired or let go, they, you kind of know that, you know, uh, you said it right. You doing it, the microscope now is going to be on the head coach, um, and that's why I said about securing your your your, your job. And that's one of the ways.
0: Drummond said that, former running back at Syracuse. He said, Why not Dino? If, if if it's on the coaches, if it's on the players, if everybody's job's on the line, why not his? And he wants to see him say that publicly that it's on me, it's on them. What are your thoughts on that? Does Dino have to say, Listen, it's on my players, it's on my coaches, but it's on me too? I mean, does that because he, in the middle of the season, said everybody's job is on the line? And that led some people to say, "Well, what about yours?" And I guess that's where we sit right now.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you know the thing about when I hear that quote from Dino, I, I I actually included him in it. I didn't ask that question because I felt that he was also including himself. Okay, uh, you know, and we have yeah, we we have we live in a world where. Brought us, you know, back to a uh, national recognition. Uh, we just didn't come back and have a great season like we anticipated having after the, you know, the, the surprising season that we that we had last year. Um, so, you know, uh, I think I think Dino's gonna be fine, man. He's gonna be fine. I'm, I'm not. I'm still not uh, ready to say, you know, throw the axe. But I think um, he knows he's on the hot.
0: That coming from D Brown here this morning on Wake Up Call. D, you spent an expanded amount of time with us today and brought us into hour number two. Uh, I can't thank you enough for the time that you spent. It's always a privilege of mine, and, and it's fun because growing up, I got to watch you and always loved the way that you played your game and, cl- and, like I said, collected your cards and always wanted to see you be successful. So it's cool this morning to not only have a conversation and, and to have you on the show, but to be able to thank you the people that I got to grow up in the dome watching so thank you for all the work that you put out there and thank you for giving me a bunch of highlights when I was watching as a kid and 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 even more so now thank you for the conversation Dan thank you so much man
1: it it is a pleasure always to to come on and and talk with you about our great our great our great campus in Syracuse Uh, anytime you know you can just give me a holler I love to talk ball I always talk Syracuse ball I bleed orange not red and so uh, I'm just looking forward to our guys getting back on track. Um, let them know if I can do anything, if any of our alumni can do anything, just give us a holler because uh, we want, you know, we represent you guys. I represent Syracuse and Florida just like I'm in upstate New York, New York right now. So it's just a matter of, you know, we. I, I love the place. I love you guys. And anytime man, you can give me a call and uh, we can talk
0: ball. Well, I appreciate it, man, and I look forward to talking with you very soon. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye.